Wellspring podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. There is a place into which the people of God of old never dared to go, where only the high priests went once each year, and even then with a whole lot of fear and trembling. It is now the place that God calls all believers to, willing that we should come not in fear, but boldly and confidently. For access has been provided for us on a trail of blood. Amen. Leading from the altar of sacrifice into the holiest of all. And in the ninth and tenth chapters of Hebrews, it talks about the tabernacle and its inner room, the holy of holies, the holiest place to ever have existed on the earth. Have you thought of it like that before? The holiest place to have ever existed on earth. Yeah. Much mystery has surrounded this place. Yet in the passages that we will be looking at today, which will be Hebrews chapter 10, and we'll be picking it up at verse 19, the writer speaks of it affectionately, not fearfully. Because God has hung a welcome sign out on the front door of his house and is saying, all are now welcomed at any time. So let's take a few moments to refresh our memories with some historical background. The tabernacle of the Old Testament has designed by God, built according to his instruction given to Moses, consisted of three main areas. And that first area, those are just, again, we're just reminding ourselves, was the outer court, which consisted of the tabernacle, and then you'll see the altar of sacrifice and the laver. The sacrifice, the altar sacrifices where the animals were sacrificed, that laver is where the priests, having just done the sacrifice of the animal, would go to and ceremonially wash their hands and feet before entering the next area, which would have been the holy place, the inner sanctuary. Um, it is here that was referred to as the holy place. It contained, as we see in this uh, photo of a replica, miniature replica, the candelabra, the uh, altar of incense, and the table of showbread. Now, all of these tabernacle furnishings, even beginning out in the outer court with the altar of sacrifice and the laver, and these three items that we see here in the holy place all spoke of, were a shadow of things to come, meaning things to come in the person of Jesus Christ. Every single one of these items speak to and are a foreshadow of who Jesus would be when he came and what he would do. So, for example, the candelabra speaking of Jesus as the light of the world, the table of showbread. Jesus referred to himself as the bread of life 
all of these represented in these things. And then there was the third room, the Holy of Holies, which was behind a thick veil and contained the Ark of the Covenant, which also between the cherubim, as you see, was the mercy seat. It was here that God's presence dwelt with his people. And here where the high priest would enter just once a year on a day known as the Day of Atonement, which just occurred last Wednesday, known, you might know it as Yom Kippur, is the Day of Atonement. On that day, the priest would go into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle sacrificial blood on the mercy seat in atonement for himself and for the sins of all the people of Israel. It was a fearful place to be. Please understand that. Even for the high priest who was commanded to go there. And most certainly a place that all others knew better than to approach. Everything about it, the thick veil, the instructions given to the priesthood for the various ceremonies, the warnings issued against approaching unworthily, all in essence were saying, you can't come here, stay back. The tabernacle ministry, although a shadow of the good things to come, was just that, a shadow. The blood of bulls and goats, although intended to cover the sins of the people until the fulfillment of God's redemptive plan, could not take away sin, right? And that which is sin cannot exist in the presence of a holy God whom we've just sang about. So it was for their safety. It was because of a good and loving God and for the people's safety that he kept them at a distance. However, and here's the good news for us today, right? However, for us today, just the opposite is true. Wow. Once again, I pray and trust that not a one of us take that for granted. The privilege we have to come into his presence. The veil has been torn from top to bottom. And now our loving God is no longer saying, keep out. (laughs) He invites all people. Wow. Gentiles, Jews, men and women, adults and children, rich and poor. It matters not to enter the sacred place, which represents a personal, close permanent relationship with the living God who once stood in the flesh and uttered these words. We looked at them last week. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now calls out to us, draw near. So God invites all of us to enter and not just enter, brothers and sisters, but to remain (laughs) Not just to visit once a week, 
but to remain 24 7. All of the days of our lives in His holy presence. So let's look into this and see the hows and whys we have this available to us today. And looking at verses 19 and 20, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain that is his body. In other words, we have any time unlimited access to the living God. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Some of us may remember when the Iron Curtain came down. Those of us who are old enough, we, we remember President Reagan's words, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down the wall. Yeah. And when it came down, people could go from East Germany to West Germany, enter the free world with some confidence like that which they had not had before. Now we can enter the once dreaded place with confidence because there was another curtain that kept us from freedom like those East Germans. This curtain has said earlier was torn from top to bottom. It's told, it's talked about it for us in Matthew 27, verse 51. It says, at that moment, where's Jesus? He's on the cross, right? At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. Wow. Do you think God was giving us a message? <laughs> you think he was wanting to let us know something? I think so. The bulls and the goats, as I said a moment ago in the Old Testament, could not take away their sin it could only do what? Remind them of their sin. Today, because of the once and for all sacrifice made for us by our Lord and Savior and by his shed blood, our sins are taken away. And again, good news, not for just a year, but forever. This writer of Hebrews said earlier in chapter 4, verse 16, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Which is probably for most of us most of the time. <laughs> And then the writer says here in chapter 10, just prior to what he said in verse 19, look at verse 16 with me. He quotes from Jeremiah 31. This is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where 
These have been forgiven. Sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. He is saying, the writer here, that Jesus has opened the door to the throne room of God and you can enter in at any time. Not because of who you are, mind you. And we know this be true, but here's the reminder, but because of who he is, amen? amen? Because of who he is and because of what he has done. We've all watched it and we've all seen it. Perhaps even some of us have done it. We've seen it in children, maybe even some immature adults, their behavior of ungratefulness. We kind of expect it out of children because they're just children. It's a little bit more sad and serious when we see it from grown-ups. Ungratefulness. Although they've been recipients of grace and acts of amazing kindness from others, it's as if it's never enough. And therefore display raunchy, ungrateful attitudes. That comes to mind when I see people enter a church service into the presence of a holy God and do not enter in. Is it because of a raunchy attitude? Is it because of ungratefulness? I think much of the time it is. Can't get their minds and their thoughts and their eyes off of themselves and back onto where they need to be. Jesus Christ and all that he has done for us. Can I ask you this morning, are you grateful? Does your life exemplify someone who is grateful for all that God has done? Verse 21. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. Right? So it's, therefore, brothers and sisters, we can have confidence. We can enter the holy place, new and living way that's been opened for us because the curtain's been torn top to bottom. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. What's the house of God? What does it refer to? It refers to the house of God inside every follower of Christ. Amen? Yeah. We are the house of God. And here's the deal. God longs to, hopefully we, we are letting him move freely all about our lives since he now lives there as those who have allowed him to come and be their king, their God, and their Lord of all, over all. We are the house of God. And he's moving freely, hopefully, about our houses because the blood of Jesus has washed us and his presence has filled us. You see, when the wilderness tabernacle 
was completed, something amazing happened. The glory and the presence of God came down. Try to imagine if you can, you're an Israelite and you're in the Israelite camp, the tabernacle just been completed and the presence of God shows up. Whatever that looks like, we've seen it. The best that people can do, you know, put that into film and put it into movies. And I don't know how close it might be, but it had to have been something. It was something otherworldly. <laughs> the Shekinah glory, the holy glory, the magnificent glory and presence of creator God came and inhabited that tabernacle. And they watched it happen. My point in saying all this is, you see, when you decided to become a follower of Jesus Christ, that very same miracle took place inside of you, unseen to our eyes. But the very same thing happened. The presence of a holy God came and set up house within you. How dare we take that for granted? <laughs> Holy God living inside of you, inside of me. This is legit, folks. <laughs> yes, amen. This means you can put your hand over your heart like I'm doing right now and with total confidence, with all sincerity, all truthfulness say, God is in there. Once again, are our lives displaying that? God is in there. And please notice, and here's something that I just kind of caught on to this week in preparation like I hadn't before. Something jumped out at me that was significant and hopefully, hopefully will be for you. Notice that when God came to the stiff-necked, griping, complaining, rebellious, hard-hearted people there in the Old Testament. He came to them not while they were in Egypt. And he didn't come to them when they were all set up in the promised land. He came to them while in the wilderness. I think this is important and significant. Have you been feeling like you've been in a wilderness lately? Honestly. Then I want to encourage you to stop looking down at yourself. Quit it with the pity party. Get your eyes off of you and start looking up. Because just as God came to them in the wilderness, he wants to come to you. And he will come to you because he's a promise-making, promise-keeping God. I love what James 4.8 tells us, let us draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. 
and talk about drawing near, notice what verse 22 says. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Are you hearing and understanding the tabernacle language there? Going along with the furnishings of the outer court and the holy place. See, here's the deal. I think you would agree with this. It's easy to approach God when you feel good about yourself. Hey, I haven't been too bad today. <laughs> I haven't sinned too much. I, I think I can go into his presence. See, there's a problem with that. When we approach him on that basis, you are approaching him in the wrong way because you are approaching him on your goodness <laughs> instead of his mercy. You guys see that? Yeah. No matter how badly you have messed things up, no matter how far you have slipped away, and no matter how hard you have fallen, no matter how stupid your sin, his door is open. Worshippers of old, those saints of the Old Testament, did not have confidence. You know what they had? They had fear. They may not have understood many things, but they did understand they had sin. And the presence of sin always dispels confidence in a relationship to a holy and righteous God. It always does. And you know it to be true, don't you? From your own life and experience. They had zero confidence to stand in the presence of holiness. Yes, our shame can keep us from entering in, but Jesus is wanting us to know that our shame need not keep us from calling on his name nor entering into his presence. We get to be in the presence of holiness, church. And you know, we tend to be like the ones whom we are with, don't yes. we? Yes, there it, is. it is true. When you're in his presence, you'll think differently. When you're in his presence, you'll talk differently. When you're in his presence, you'll act differently. When we are in his presence, we have what the writer called back in verse 20, a new and living way opened up for us. That word new that is used there in verse 20 is in the original language a word that means, hear me now, this is so good, freshly slain. In other words, God sees the shed blood of his son, the perfect sacrifice as fresh always. Yes, it occurred 2,000 plus years ago, but fresh in this moment. 
It is as though just now Jesus died for us. It is as though just now he bore the stripes on his back, the thorns on his head. It is as though just now that Jesus shed his blood, just now that he was freshly slain for you and for me. In the Father's eyes, it is always just that, always just now. The veil remains torn. It remains open through Jesus Christ, the supreme sacrifice. Also, when we are in his presence, we are empowered like never before to do what? Well, to do what we see in verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Are you thankful (laughs) for our faithful God? We can have a hope that says, I shall not be moved. I will not be moved. I will stand solid on the promises of God. I will obey his commands. I will be a man or a woman of God no matter what. A hope that stands with 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. A hope that agrees with Romans chapter 5, verse 5. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us a hope that holds to the promise of first peter chapter 1 verse 3 praise be to the god and father of our lord jesus christ in his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope not a dead one a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead a hope that says I acknowledge that God has put his house in me. And so I'm going to move in and meet with him there and have joy and fellowship and relationship where we will have sweet communion with each other. And there I will remain in his presence. A number of years ago, researchers conducted an experiment to see the effect that hope has on those undergoing hardship. Two sets of laboratory rats were placed in separate tubs of water. The researchers left one set in the water and found that within one hour, every single one of them had drowned. The other set of rats were periodically lifted out of the water and then returned. When that happened, the second set of rats swam for over 24 hours. Why? Not because they were given a rest, not because they were better swimmers, but because they suddenly had hope. Those animals, somehow the researchers concluded, hoped 
that if they could stay afloat just a little longer, someone would rescue them. Ooh, I like that, don't you? How does that speak to our hearts? That someone would rescue them. If hope holds such power for measly rodents, (laughs) how much greater should its effect be on our lives? Hope gives us reason, church, to live a living faith that results in hope. Now look at verses 24 and 25 with me. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And let us encourage one another. And all the more, as you see the day approaching. In other words, let us, let us, let us be mindful of not only our commitment to God, but our commitment to one another within the family of God. Amen? Out of our commitment to God is to flow a commitment to each other. What the Holy Spirit through the writer of Hebrews are telling us is this. The picture of the Old Testament tabernacle in its comparison to what Jesus has done for us is a huge reminder to us all that we are all broken people. Newsflash. We are all broken people. This is what we have in common. Folks, our brokenness. When this is realized, when we gather together with this in mind, something wonderful can take place. Something wonderful happens. Unity happens. Bringing into existence a bonding amongst the people of God evidenced by our love for each other, how we pray for each other, how we encourage one another, how we travel this journey of faith together. This is why it says that we are not to give up meeting together. Oh, how we need to get and maintain God's perspective on our lives. Would you agree with that? We really, really do. The perspective we typically come up with on our own, for our lives, with regards to our circumstances and our culture, whatever, can be pretty lousy. Strips us of hope. Causes us to not be people of faith. Not displaying that God lives in here, which is why we so desperately need his perspective, heaven's perspective rather than ours. See, here's the deal. Everybody needs you and you need everybody. Some of you don't like that. Some of you probably just flat out refuse to believe it. It's not my idea. (laughs) It's God's. Every single one of us broken every single one of us needing one another. 
We are to stimulate, to stir up, spur on each other towards love and good deeds. And the writer says, especially as we see the day approaching. How many got your eyes on the clouds? <laughs> the blue sky. Sometimes it's blue, right? Most of the time here. He's coming. Now, I realize that followers of Christ have been talking about his return for 2,000 years. You know what? That does not minimize, it does not diminish the truth that his return still is imminent, can still happen at any moment. And so as we see the day approaching, which could be five minutes from now, we are to spur one another on, encourage one another, give ourselves to each other, realizing our commonness being our brokenness and our need for Jesus Christ. Amen. Although the force of one person fully committed to God is tremendous, it does not compare to the force of God's people moving together. Amen. When the people of God unite, line up side by side on the battlefield, something amazing <laughs> begins to happen. Dark kingdoms tremble. The dungeons and prisons that hold men, women, and children captive crumble. Prison doors open, chains unlock, and many come to freedom. I read somewhere that a tiger will defeat a lion in battle, but five lions will defeat five tigers because lions fight together. Tigers do not. Reminded me when I read that, that we belong to the Lion of Judah. <laughs> Amen. Christ has paved the way for a new and better way to do life. Let's not forget what we have in common, as I've been saying. It is our brokenness that unites us and causes us to be, for him, an unstoppable force on this planet. Will you be a part of that? Father, we thank you so much for the word of God for the truth that it contains the encouragement that it brings the hope that it builds within our lives if we would just believe that what it says is a better way to do life if we would just believe that God offers a way that is much better than what we would come up with on our own. Help us, God, to get over ourselves and put ourselves aside and fully, completely surrender to you and allow you to come freely move within our lives within the house that you have established within us as followers of Christ allow you to be Lord of all 
to be the true ruler of our hearts, to be our king, to obey your commands, to do as the psalmist says, to love your decrees, your statutes, your laws, your commandments, God. May it be our desire to know them, to live them, to obey them, to truly be men and women of God. Displaying you, letting the world know that you really do live in our hearts, making a difference as we allow the glory of our King to be displayed, pushing back darkness in this world, bringing light and salvation to those lost in the darkness. This is our prayer. May it be our resolve, not just in this moment, but for the rest of our days. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will lift up, lift up my-